Would you take your Bibles with me, please? Hope you have one with. Uh, or if you have a Bible, you can open it up on your app. If you don't, we'd always be glad to give you a Bible. So just let us know if you need a Bible after the service. We'd be glad to give you one. Uh, turn to Titus chapter 3 with me. If you're not sure where Titus is, here's a little secret. The five T's in the New Testament are all together. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus. So look for a T and then find the last one and you'll be in Titus. All right, Titus chapter three. Before we look at Titus three, uh, I want us to think about what you might consider a kind of a weird question. If you were an alien, see, that's weird. If you were an alien that has been visiting earth since Black Friday, don't say it out loud yet, but what have you learned about people? You had, don't say it out loud yet. You, you've never experienced humanoids. And then since Black Friday, you've learned, wow, what about people? All right, have something in your head? Have something in your head? All right. Now, question is what's in your head about what you've learned if, if your first exposure has just been since Black Friday, if it's something kind of negative about people, let me see your hand. Yeah, isn't that interesting? You can look around here. Go ahead, put, keep your hands up. I'm not sure I can't see them in the south, but over here in the north, vast majority. If you thought something positive about people, let me see your hands. All right. You are the distinct minority. But... But actually the scripture that we're going to see reveals that Christmas shows us the ugly of the ugly and the greatest of good both. Maybe, maybe that's why we love Christmas so much. It reveals something really ugly about us and it reveals something phenomenal about our God. So... The passage I want us to look at this week, next week, and on Christmas Eve. It won't be the same sermon three times in a row, but we're going to look at the same section. It begins like this, verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for whom? Mankind appeared. And then sneak into verse 15, or verse 5, excuse me. He saved us. Now, is that a Christmas verse. Now, I, I, I never really thought of Titus 3, 4 as a Christmas verse until I realized, huh, his love for mankind appeared. You know, what's he talking about? Jesus. Yeah, he's talking about the birth of Jesus. The, the fact that it wasn't that, that God's love wasn't there, and now it is, or it had been, and it had disappeared, now it's reappearing. It had always been there, but he is saying his love for mankind was demonstrated, was revealed, it appeared in a whole new way. And that way was God becoming man. The birth of Jesus of Nazareth is his love for mankind appearing. So this is profoundly a Christmas passage. <laughs> Verse four begins with what word? But. but. So, there's something that stands in contrast to his kindness as our Savior and his love for us. So to understand why verse 4 begins with but, we have to go back to verse 
3. And here's what verse 3 says about us. For we also once were, what? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I mean, whoa, whoa. You understand now why it says, but? See, the love of God appearing in the sending of Jesus stands in stark contrast to who he came for. And who, watch, who we once were if we are in Christ and who we still are if we're not in Christ. Christmas, maybe this is, maybe this is some of the things that you were thinking about that aliens would discover about humanoids between Black Friday and Christmas of some of this craziness right here. Christmas, the coming, the appearing of the love of God happened because, why? Because by nature, we're a number of things. First, he says, by nature, we're foolish. Now, as you write that word down, foolish, understand, I'm not saying we do foolish things. I'm saying we are foolish, so we do foolish things. It's deeper than we do foolish things. It's that we are foolish by nature. And second, it says, Christ appeared because by nature we are disobedient. We don't just disobey, we are disobedient. Every one of us who have been parents recognize our children were born obedient or disobedient. Yeah, it's so easy. I never once had to say to my kids, you need to learn to disobey and have a little fun. <laughs> they knew instinctively when dad said, don't touch. Oh. They did it just naturally. Obedience is learned. Disobedience is, it's our nature. It's what we do because of who we are outside of Christ. See, the writer is saying, before Christ, you were foolish, you were disobedient, you were deceived. And you know what the deception was? <laughs> the deception was this. You're basically good. No, you're not. See, it's fascinating to me that it's this time of year when people are generous and helpful that we go, see, this reveals that people are basically good. How they give gifts. Well, what about how they then run on people's porches and grab those gifts and take them off and jump in the car and drive away? You know, the porch pirate. That's not basically good. That's by nature. Doesn't say this word in the text, but it's an over. By nature, we're thieves, not givers. We're stealers by nature. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to our desires, it says, and envious. Our bodies. Our flesh demands to be satisfied, and we are slaves to it. Slaves to our desire, 
and envious. <laughs> Can I remind you what envy really is and how easily it creeps in and screams at us this time of year? Envy is discontented, resentful. You know why? Because of what others have. Envy is not because of what you have. It's because of what others have. And we are by nature ones who look around and go, hey, ah, I want that. Does that happen all the time? Does me? I, I've had a fire pit for years. Never been envious till Bill Winton told me this week, he's got a fire pit that is smokeless. So he can like, and maybe you've seen these things. You can build like a real fire, not a propane fire where basically you took your lid off your grill and you act like that's a fire. <laughs> no, like a real fire, wood burning hot and no smoke so that now my wife can't say, no, I can't sit by the fire because my hair will get smoky. <laughs> you know, and then I can't do that and have to wash my hair. You just don't understand. So we never have a fire because I get smoky. We have a smokeless fire. I was like, I got to have one of those. I had never had fire pit envy before, but like that, there it was. And then and I said, man, how much that cost? And he told me, I was like, mm, okay, my envy's all over. I don't need any of that anymore. I just come to your house. In fact, if it's missing off his porch, he ought to know where it is. Because envy has more than one way to be satisfied. Hey, that's, that's just by nature. Enslaved desires and envious. And what else? We're hateful haters. So struck that hate was not enough. Did you see it there in verse 3? Hateful, hating one another. That's a lot of hate. Not, not just hating one another, hateful hating one another. We're bad and we're good at our bads. We're like, really, not bad at our bad, we're really good at our bad. We are, apart from Christ, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful haters. We are F-D-D-E-E-H-H. -H. Apart from Christ. Now, you go, why so ugly? Listen, don't miss this. If your head rolled out of the room thinking about a fire pit, roll it right back in right now. All right? <laughs> The reason verse 3 is there is because we'll never get or never understand, never be blown away by who God is in all of his greatness and all of his glory that is revealed in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. We'll never get it if we don't see verse 3 first. See, who God is. And how he has revealed himself, the God of our salvation, can only be properly understood when you and I are willing to admit that apart from Jesus, I am a foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful hater. And Christmas reveals that sometimes more than any other time during the year, that I am these things apart from Christ. But the beauty 
And this ugliness is this. It's that Christmas not only reveals the ugliness in mankind, it also reveals the heart of our God. And the more we are honest about who we are, the greater God will be in our thinking. Because, what's the first word in verse 4 of Titus 3? But. See, he's going, you were, what? Foolish, disobedient, deceitful, enslaved, envious, hateful haters. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be, say it with me, made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you see what I mean? See, we only get the greatness of who God is, the God of our salvation, if we lay it in contrast to who we are by nature. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful haters, but God. And who does he reveal himself to be in the sending of Jesus? Well, first, Christmas reveals that God is loving. Now, as you write that down, you may go, oh yeah, I know, God is loving. I've heard that a thousand times. Hey, guess what? Be prepared. This might mean something that you don't expect. God is loving. Many of you have probably heard, for God so loved, God is loving, so he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is loving. And you may know that we have an English word, love, that actually translates numerous Greek words which the New Testament was originally written in. So when we read love, we always see the same word, but they read different words. A familiar one for many folks is for God so love, for God so agape. The love that is volitional, it's willful, it lays down a life sacrificially, agape, doing that which is the best for another. It's taking another into consideration. For God so loved the world, that's the agape, the sacrificial, volitional, willful, decisive love of God for us. And he did so in sending Jesus. But in our passage, Titus 3, 4, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, I assumed it was agape, and it's not. I must even look it up, because I was just assume, oh, yeah, our Savior and his love, that would be the sacrificial, volitional, willful choosing of God to lay down. It's not. You know what this is? Phileo. Brotherly, kind love. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I was so struck. That, that, I was like, wow. 
When the kindness of God and our Savior and his phileo, his fondness for mankind appeared. That says something totally new in the way I think about the love of God expressed in Christmas. It is true that it was an agape love, but this tells me that it was not only agape love, it was a phileo love. It was a fond affection for mankind that caused the Father to send the Son. Now, as you write that down, I hope you are struck. That is absolutely absurd, right? That's crazy. Who does he have fond affection for? Foolish, disobedient, deceitful, enslaved, envious, hateful haters. Do you have fond affection for those folks? No, no, no. You don't like them. You hate haters. God has flat. That doesn't even make any sense to me. How can God have fond affection? Let me show you why. It comes out of the mouth of Jesus. He is outside Jerusalem. And the passage in Luke tells us that as he looks into Jerusalem and he sees the city, tears are streaming down his face. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. That's the phileo love of God saying, you were made for relationship with me. We were made to be in relationship together with God. And when we are unwilling, when we are disobedient and deceitful, foolish, enslaved, envious, hateful haters, when we go our own way, we make ourselves desolate. Because we were made for a relationship with him. And he has fondness for you. See, I want you to hear with fresh ears this morning, please. You may know that God loves you and laid down his life for you in his son. Hear a new expression. Yes, he loves you sacrificially. He has fondness for you. Like a hen once her chicks under her wing, God wants you under his arm. That's a great picture. He wants you under his arm. You've seen two people who love one another arm in arm. That's the relationship that caused the father to send the son the love, the phileo, the fondness for mankind is the cause for the Father sending the Son. He loves you, not just willfully, not just sacrificially. That's true. I'm not taking anything away. But he longs for relationship with you. And 
And when he sees unwillingness, it leaves us desolate. This week, this morning, young man said, my, my marriage has fallen apart. My life, I've tried to take it multiple times. But I came this morning and he said those words that God loved me totally changed. I needed to be here. And I, I hope maybe, <clears throat> yeah, maybe, man, you need to be here for those simple words. And God has fondness for you. It's not a robot who just does the right thing. Like a father and a mother towards their children, like a hen towards the chicks. He longs for a relationship with you. And when we go our own way, we ruin our lives. We leave ourselves desolate. We become deserts, barren. And he said, I've been a fool. I'm glad the Lord brought me here this morning. I'll see you next week. It's the love of God for you. You may have forgotten. You have, may have made it sterile. You may have thought, uh, no, you don't know how much I've been disobedient. You know, know how much I've hated. You don't know how foolish I've been. You know what? What's the word? But. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. The love of God. He desires relationship with you. Well, the text also says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. So God is not only crazy love, has crazy love for us. And you know what I mean when I say crazy love for us. It, it doesn't make sense. He's also kind. God is loving, crazy in his love for us. Kind. Kind is usefully helpful. That's important because you might think of kindness as more sentiment and kindness is much more active and practical. See, if I'm moving from one house to another, I don't need you to have warm thoughts for me. I need you to bring your truck and help me move the furniture. Right? That's kindness. Kindness is usefully helpful. And here we were, foolish, got it? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful haters. And God, being usefully helpful, did what? He appeared in his son to be our savior. Jesus says it this way. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love you. In other words, uh, those who are disobedient and deceived and all that junk, they love people who love them. Nothing special about that. And he goes through it three times. If you love them, no big deal. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. 
know what the next verse is? About how it starts? But, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. Why? For he himself is, he himself is kind to people who deserve it. No, he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil, foolish, deceitful, disobedient, enslaved, envious, hateful haters. That's who God is usefully helpful to. He's kind and his kindness is outrageous. Yes, his love is crazy in the sense of who we are and he has fond affection for us. And that he would help us in spite of who we were apart from him. Outrageous. Back in July, in celebrating 30 years here at the chapel, the elders on your behalf had given me a fishing kayak, a little pedal thing. It's been awesome. I've caught like a jillion fish out of this thing. So just yesterday, before the wind picked up on the river, I got out early in the morning and I ended up catching out of that kayak, a flounder, a slot red, meaning it was bigger than 18 inches, smaller than 27 inches, and a seven pound large mouth bass. Right, right in the same stretch. And no, I'm not telling you where it is. <laughs> so I send a, send a picture to a guy who had given me a lure the night before to try out. And I caught two of the three fish on his lure. And so I send it to him and his response to the picture is wowzer. And when I read that, honestly, I was like, see, that's, that's what I want CFC to walk out the doors with tomorrow. That you would see God not as so much bigger than a big fish. That you would see God in all of his love, in all of his outrageous kindness to you, and you'd walk out those doors going, wowzer, God. Seriously, wowzer. That... that he would be kind to me. And apart from him, I'm foolish, disputant, deceitful, enslaved, envious, hateful, hater. And he would love me. He'd want a relationship with me. And he would be usefully helpful in restoring that relationship through sending his son. Wowzer. That, that our hearts would be full of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude for a God who loves us in spite of who we really were. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. God has expressed his love in a crazy manner. He is outrageous in his kindness and he is merciful. He's merciful. Meaning what? <laughs> Meaning he does not give. You know what that is? It was going to be way too long a blank. So it's foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful, haters. That's you and I. He, he did not give us what we deserve. Matt's working on a song for the praise of the if we can do glory, we can do it. <laughs> See, it's just a matter of creativity. It's just <clears throat> God, God is merciful.
to us. He didn't give us what we deserve. Now, this is important. You understand? It's not that he ignored what we did. He didn't give it to us what we did, not because he ignored. And I, I say that because I know on a human level, as a parent, what it's like to go, oh, I don't want to see them disobey because if I see them disobey, then I'm going to have to address it. So I'm just going to act like I didn't see it so I can ignore it. That is not mercy. That's chicken. That's lazy. And God is neither chicken nor lazy. God says, I see it, but I'm not going to give it I'm going to do something else with it. So what's it? What do we deserve? Wage of sin is death. Wage of sin, because of, we are that, because of that, we deserve, quite frankly, hell. I know that's harsh. That's what we deserve. We, every single one of us, deserve hell. Oh, what's the next word? Great Bible word. But, but. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. See, he does, he does not ignore. He does not ignore our sin. He does not ignore the punishment that it deserves. He sees it, but he doesn't give it to us because here's what he did with it. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took the penalty that you and I deserved. See, that's why we ought to walk out the door not impressed with anything other than the love and kindness and mercy of our God. That we ought to walk out the door going, wowzer God, that you would take the punishment that every single one of us deserved and you would pour it out on your son because you have fond affection for us. And you're usefully helpful. And that ought to fill our hearts with praise for how great our God is. But you'll never see it. You'll never, as Matt writes in that song, go taste and see. You'll never know the goodness of the Lord until you will humbly recognize it's not my neighbor, it's not my boss, it's not the people who I dislike who are foolish, disobedient, deceitful, la la la. It's me. But God. But God loved me. But God was kind to me. But God was merciful and poured out the punishment that I deserved on his son. So that being justified, now that will, be, that will be a word we unpack next week. So that being justified, how? By his grace. We would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh man, this is so good. By his grace, what would happen? We would be made heirs. What's that mean? We'd be made part of the, the be made part of the family. Be made heirs by his grace. God is Loving, God is kind and outrageous in his kindness. He is merciful and he is unbelievably gracious to us. And if you really want to get what at the core is grace, here is what is at the core of grace. Gift. At the core of grace is that simply word, a gift. 
for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace you have been saved. What's he saying? And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, our salvation, our forgiveness, so that we can say that's who we once were, foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved, envious, hateful haters. That's who we once were, but we have been given a gift by grace. In other words, you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it and you can't pay it back. That's what's true about a gift, right? You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay it back. It's a gift. And what is the gift? Ah, the gift is that he invites, there it is, the fideha, he invites us to become his children. See, that's the gift. The invitation to, we'll talk about this more, to be more than forgiven, to be more than let off the hook, be more than simply, I'm not going to give you the punishment you deserve. The gift to say, in spite of the fact that you were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful haters, I would like to invite you to be part of my family. That's outrageous. Right? That's wowzer. That God would do that in light of who we are. Folks, are you having a Christmas party this year? If you're hosting one. Did you invite people that don't like you, that hate you, that ignore you, that curse you and say mean things? You didn't invite them, right? If their name came up, you'd go, uh, nope, uh-uh. <laughs> who do you invite? People who love you, people who have been kind to you, people who invited you last year. You're like, oh, we gotta invite them, they invited us. <laughs> yeah, that's who we invite. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I am saying this, that's not Christmas. Christmas is an invitation to unworthy, undeserving, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, envious, hateful haters to come into a relationship with God as Father. That's quite the invitation, yeah? Well, man, when you get an invitation in the mail, you got to respond to it. How do you receive this invitation of grace? Well, the verse we just looked at explains. You only receive it through faith. Faith, what's that mean? Faith, very simple. Faith means, first I admit something about me. And we've talked about it. Faith admits I'm that bad. John Harmelane, our pastor of shepherding, generally does our uh, <clears throat> hospital visitation around here. But a number of years back, uh, one of our ladies <clears throat> went to the emergency room, and my wife and I, Jackie, were going by, and so we stopped in the emergency room. I don't normally go, but I walked around the corner. I'll never forget. When I walked around the corner, she looks up, sees me, and she goes, Oh, no! <laughs> And I thought, well, this is why I don't come to the hospital. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. She goes, oh, no. 
And then she goes, if you're here, it must be really be bad. <laughs> she was in first hour. She told me, I remember. <laughs> so how bad must it be that God showed up wrapped in human flesh? You see what I'm saying? See, we only capture the true greatness of Christmas, the true greatness of God revealed in Christmas. If you will, not theoretically out there, but personally acknowledge, I deserve hell. That's how bad it is. I deserve hell. But that's not all of it. Next word, but. I admit I deserve hell, but I believe that God is loving and kind and merciful and gracious and has demonstrated in the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus, to be your savior. The invitation is to become his child. How do you receive it? Admit who you are. Admit what you deserve. And believe who he is and what he has done for you in his son. And those who admit and believe, they recognize, man, I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. I couldn't pay it back. I didn't earn it. I just say, thank you. Wow. Wowzer. Thank you. Have you done that? Have you admitted who you are, believed in Jesus, and received what he offers in his love, kindness, mercy, and grace? Thursday night, we had the privilege of one of our young mothers sharing her unique story of how she came to enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And then she was baptized afterwards and, and it happened on Thursday night, but I didn't want you to miss it. So I want you to hear her story of how she trusted in Jesus. Hi. Um, <laughs> my name is Noemi Strapazon. I grew up in a small town in Brazil where there were only two churches to attend. My family and I went to the Catholic church. We attended the church occasionally, but there was not much thought about te teaching the God's word to the children. So at the age of 10, my parents divorced. I'm the youngest of three children. And throughout this painful process, we gave up going to church altogether. My mother and I moved closer to my grandmother. She was a woman of prayer. I stand here today because she loved the Lord and fiercely prayed for me. By the age of 18, I was engaged to my husband, Cesar, and moving to US. We started our life together in this country without speaking much of the language. To say the least, it was a challenge season, but we both pushed on and focused on our studies and then careers. In times of trouble, we thought the advice of friends, we followed the culture, I even read like psychology articles, and my all-time favorite, I looked into the science. 
as we got older, we started talking about children, but we were so busy uh, climbing the career ladder that it was hard even to think about adding children to the mix. Today, I can clearly see how much we had our values inverted in life. In 2011, we got pregnant and we were so excited. We uh, welcomed our first daughter, Michaela, in 2012. Slowly but surely, I started to um, question the promises of my career compared to being at home with my children. Was science and culture really the best places for me to look for guidance? Now I know God was working on me. He has so much he was trying to teach me. When our daughter was 18 months old, she had her first febrile seizure. My world began to crumble before me. I was extremely anxious and could not sleep well. I questioned everything, my work and what I had been taught about God. The painful, the painful part was that the places where I used to look for answers, they did not comfort me at all. But they really added to my anxieties. I cried constantly and could not um, understand why this was happening to us. At a time, a neighbor invited us to a non-denominational church and a seed was planted. We moved and welcomed our second child, Enzo, but I still continue to be a very anxious mother. When we came to Jacksonville a few years later, we decided to visit the church next door. It was CFC. This was a few years ago. And then I heard the God's word explain. It started to clear up so much of my gospel confusion. God also placed godly friends in my life. Um, and I started my first biblical study. God guided me here today and continue to use this church and family to shepherd and mentor me to become fully devoted, spirit and power, follower of Christ. I realized God has given me new life through His Son, Jesus Christ. His death paid the penalty for my sin and because of His love, His unconditional love for me, I have found new life in Him. This has changed the way I raise my children. I'm learning their gifts to Caesar and me. And as I immerse myself in scripture, God truly has comforted me, comforted me. Uh, my children, my, my daughter still struggle with this condition. And now we have welcomed our third child, Emmanuela, this year. So uh, from the outside, you can see I have plenty of reasons to be even more anxious, but I'm not. Now I truly have hope and I trust that God is with me and He has plans for me. And above all, they are His children. The days that I'm struggling, I look to the cross and remember what Jesus did there. And I know that a Father who did that for me, for sure He will work everything for His good and according to His plan. Today in my heart, I'm deeply grateful for His love for me and I wanted to be baptized as a sign of obedience and according to the scriptures. I love because her heart is so full of praise for a God who delivered her from what she recognized in her world desolate was stress and fear and worry. Trusting in, what did she say? Culture and science and other opinion. 
And then she understood the gospel. She knew about God, but didn't have a relationship with him. I think that can happen a lot. And so it may be true that this morning you go, I know about God. I've known about God for a long time. It's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with him? Have you moved from knowing about God to trusting in him? Move from knowing about what Jesus has done on the cross to trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross to forgive you and to make you a child of God. She received the invitation. And so I want to invite you, if you've never received the invitation to become a child of God, to invite you this morning. It's not complicated. Admit and believe. And when you admit and believe, then you can only receive. So let me invite you to bow with me. If you sense that God is saying to you right now, speaking to your heart, inviting you to believe in him, then would you just quietly there in your seat, would you admit to him, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But I believe your son paid the penalty for my sin. And I receive your mercy and your grace. Father, that is only the work of your Holy Spirit opening the eyes of those who are dead in their sin. And I pray that you have done that this morning. Thankful that you have promised that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We rejoice that you have shown your love and your kindness, your mercy and grace, so that we might be born again, be children of God. In Christ's name, amen. For all of us, whether it was the first time right now this morning or if it's sometime in our past, for every single person who has believed in Jesus, we can say with the psalmist, <clears throat> Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit, because that's where we were headed. And he says, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. See, godly because of what he has done for us. What would we do? We would give him praise because you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That is the overflow of a heart that has believed in Jesus and has seen God for all that he's done for us. I want to invite you to stand with me and let's, like the psalmist declares, let's not be silent. 
Let's not just go about it mechanically with a loud voice, with a heart overflowing with a praise, than a heart that is saying, wowzer, would we declare our praise to our God who is our Savior 